This morning from the book of Revelation, chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To Him who loves us and freed us from our sins by His blood and made us to be a kingdom, priest serving His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, He's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And on His account all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the Word of God for the people of God. So here we are on this last Sunday of the Christian year, designated as Christ the King Sunday, the culmination of all we studied and learned the journey we've gone through following the life of Christ, now to come together and proclaim Christ as King of our lives. This is also the last sermon in this series of eight where we've been looking at these many images of Christ, primarily as we were reading through the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews this morning from Revelation. Last Sunday we talked about Christ as faithful, Before that, we examine Christ as coming again, as sacrifice, as priest, as son, and as God's grace and glory. Plus, in every one of those scripture passages that we examined and investigated, we found there were other titles and images and descriptions of how people had experienced Jesus Christ alive and at work in their lives. Which image of Christ speaks most powerfully to you? It need not be the same for all of us. It's just that all of us need to have a connection with God through Christ for our life of faith to be vital. We have more descriptions today, even in our text, where this author says that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. It's helpful to remember that when we look at writings like we were looking at in the letter to the Hebrews and in this book of Revelation, that these come from a time where those who are followers of Christ are suffering, are dealing with abuse and persecution and hardship because of their faith. You can understand why they write with such urgency, praying and hoping and proclaiming that Christ will come again soon. We didn't read the first couple of verses in chapter 1, but in verse 1, he writes that this must soon take place. Verse 3, he proclaims the time is near. And just as we talked about when we were examining Hebrews, it's not that the vision and the hope for Christ to come again is a problem, but the timelines for these early Christians become problematic. Not that we want to give up the hope, we claim the hope. It's a vision for a better future, 
a vision of what God intends for God's children here on earth. These authors want us to know that the God whom we worship is eternal and faithful, transcends time and space and any circumstances that we might be experiencing in our own lives. That Christ is faithful, that Christ is full of love for us, and that Christ will continue to work in our time and in time to come. After this author lays that out in just the first four verses, in verse 5, he takes a turn and breaks into what I would call a doxology or a praise of God. You can hear it in the last part of verse 5. To Him or to Christ who loves us and freed us from our sins by His blood and made us to be a kingdom, priest, serving His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. It is a section of praise to Christ who loves us and freed us from our sins and who has already, this is already accomplished in the mind of the author of Revelations, who's already made us to be a kingdom, priest, serving God and Father. I don't think it's too strong to say just in that one verse, you have a capsule of the gospel of what God has done in Christ and what God is doing in the world and what God wants to do in each of our lives. Revelations wants us to understand that Christ is king of the universe. But perhaps closer and more relevant to our concerns is whether or not you're living as if Christ is king of your life. This author says God is at work and through Christ we've seen revealed that it's a God who was working before we knew it, is working now and will work into the future. You could hear it in that very last verse, verse 8. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Revelation is written to encourage people who are struggling with persecution and suffering, who need a word of hope. And this author says, stay the course, continue to follow Christ, that finally Christ will be victor over all. Or as the popular book title these days says, love wins. Revelation is saying, hang in there. Even if you feel discouraged, because finally love wins. Revelation encourages us to live until whenever the end time might be, as those who know we are loved and freed to serve God through the power of the resurrection, we are servants of the eternal King. And when we grasp that, and that message and that truth grasp us, Revelation says it changes everything, makes everything new. It's a life-transforming, a life-changing perspective. I started thinking about all the lives that have been changed by the coming of Christ. How lives have been transformed through the ages. I'm going to lift up just a few. 
I thought of John Newton first. Do you remember Newton? It's the one who wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. He was born in 1725, but he, when he was only 11 years old, his father, who was a captain of slave ships, took him as a sailor with him on one of these voyages. So for the next dozen years or so, Newton spent his life on slave ships. At one point, he was drafted into the British Royal Navy. He didn't like it so much. He tried to escape. He was caught. They gave him eight dozen lashes to remind him he had a duty to serve. But then the captain still thought he was too unruly when they got to Africa. They were picking up some slaves. They left Newton there. He became a slave himself for a time. Finally, he was freed. As soon as he could, he got back on a boat toward his homeland to go back to England. He wrote later that the ship was caught for days in a fierce storm. And it was during that storm that he began to pray to God for help and began to read the Bible the ship survived, and he returned to England, and he said, I determined at that point to be a follower of Christ. But he would say later that it took him years, many years before what he called a full conversion took place. For see, even though he was back in England and didn't go on the slave ships anymore, he continued to invest and work in the slave trade but during this time, he also became more and more serious about his faith. He began serious religious study. And by the time he was about to turn 40, he had entered into the ministry, ordained in the Church of England, and became a pastor in the church. But it wasn't until, that was about 1764, it wasn't until the 1780s, that he finally began to speak out against slavery and joined the abolitionist movement in England. He did live to see slavery abolished in his home country. And before he died, he wanted to write his own epitaph. This is what he wrote. It's posted at his tombstone today. Once an infidel and libertine a servant of slaves in africa was by the rich mercy of our lord and savior jesus christ preserved restored pardoned and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy i think newton's life is a vivid example of how the love and grace of God works in a person's life to change them, to change us over time, to free us from sin, as our text says, and convict us so that we devote our lives to serving Christ as King of our life. I think knowing His story makes these words He penned in that great hymn all the more poignant. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now 
am found was blind, but now I see. Or verse 3 that sounds so autobiographical. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Or I thought of Albert Schweitzer. He was born in 1875. He was born into a Lutheran pastor's family. He grew up in the parsonage. They said he was a very bright young man. He had an inclination to music and began to learn to play the organ. Before he was 20 years old, he had opportunity to play for the famous French organist Vidor. Perhaps you have heard of him. He auditioned, in a sense, for him, and he said, He shall be my student. I will teach him without fee. And Schweitzer and Vidor became great friends and leaders in the music world across Europe. But while he was becoming a famous musician, he began to feel a call to study more about faith and began to take classes and went back to school studying theology. And within just a few years of beginning his studies, he wrote a Ph.D. thesis in theology. So by the 1900s, now he was serving not only as an organist in churches and a leader in the music world, but also began to pastor churches. While he's doing all of that, he begins to feel another call in his life, to go and venture forth as a foreign missionary to foreign lands. He became enamored with a French mission agency. He went to them and told them of his call. By then, he had also authored some books. They were suspicious about his theology. They denied his request. He said, that's okay. I think I'll go back to medical school and become a doctor, and then go into the mission field. So he began his medical studies within a handful of years. He finished those, became a medical doctor. It was 1911. He began to tell people he was going into, form, into foreign service, was playing organ concerts to raise money. Within a couple of years, he was ready to go to Gabon, Africa, a previous missionary site with the organization that denied him and started a hospital. He and his wife moved to Africa and began to serve as medical missionaries. He wrote that I decided I could proclaim the gospel more effectively as a doctor than I could as a preacher. And he spent the rest of his life traveling back and forth between Europe and Africa, serving those he had felt called to serve. I think you can see how the love and grace being poured into a person's life who is attentive can change us over time and can free us from sin to live in love, devoting ourselves to Christ as King of our lives. Maybe one more that you're more familiar with, Mother Teresa, born in 1910, became a nun at a young age, was a religious school administrator, 
traveling back and forth to Calcutta, India from her home in Albania. And she says, finally, she just could not ignore the suffering she saw in the streets every time she was there and came to believe that God was calling her to go into service to serve what she called the poorest of the poor. She was granted permission because she was a Catholic nun to start the Missionaries of Charity, which she did in 1950, all alone, without funding. Within a couple of years, had enough money that she started her first hospice house. Within a few more years, a children's home. This is all happening in the 1950s. Most of you remember by the 1970s, you'd heard of Mother Teresa because they'd become a worldwide service missionary organization. Now thousands of women and eventually even men becoming part of her missionary organization. When she would be praised for the great work that she did, she would most typically say, I do no great things, just small things with great love mother Teresa once said about herself by blood i am albanian by citizenship an indian by faith i am a catholic nun as to my calling i belong to the world as to my heart i belong entirely to the heart of jesus Are you ready to live immersed in the love of God, freed from sin and serving God until the end comes? Revelation says, trust in the one who can make it so. May we each leave here committed to live in such a way that our lives proclaim Christ as King, as if we know we are loved and freed from sin and ready to devote our lives to Christ the King. Amen, and thanks be to God.